Shine 1049, joining the Spokane 7th-day Adventist Church worship service. We hope you're blessed by today's message. This weekend, with special guest Bruce Marciano, who acted in the role of Jesus in the Matthew film. Um, You'll pick up very quickly, I'm a guy who likes to be comfortable. I left my house in Los Angeles at 6.30 this morning and just arrived. The plane had a mechanical. It's actually pretty funny, and I'm sure many of you have had this experience. You're sitting there on the plane, you know, and they're getting ready to take off and everything, and you look out the window, and, and you just see this mechanic lifting the hatch on the engine, and he's got like like a crescent wrench. You know what I mean? And he's, <laughs> he's in there doing this, and I go, uh-oh, I think we're in trouble, you know? And you just immediately uh, call the wife and say, I think we got a little problem here. And uh, sure enough, I was grounded a little bit in Seattle. And, but I'm here. I'm here on two bags of pretzels. <laughs> two bags of pretzels. It's amazing what... Uh, A man can be sustained on two bags of pretzels. (laughs) Now we thank God. You know, I remember being here a few years ago. I ran into a couple folks, and they mentioned it. And and I just remember we had a magnificent time in this area. And I was reminded that I spoke for two straight hours. And I was like, yikes, don't tell me I did that, (laughs) you know. How come they weren't throwing rocks at me? I can remember that evening. I can remember that that people were just so hungry for Jesus, and just so hungry for Jesus. And I don't know that there's anything more exciting. And to walk in the room tonight, and, and the quality of the worship, and the, and the goodness, and, and the joy, and the, it's just like, ah, it's just, especially after flying for a whole day and everything, you know, and, and it's wild, it's interesting. You know, you're sitting in, in an airport. I called my wife after they made the announcement. And, and it's kind of like I'm going a little bit of rabbit trail here. But people are just like, oh, wow. Oh, man, I can't believe it. And immediately the phones come out. And it's like this tidal wave of yuck, you know, that just starts to sweep. Because people have been inconvenienced. And it's just like, oh, wow, I don't know how long it's going to be. And, you, and it's just like suddenly it's like there's yuck coming at you from all sides. And you just want to get out of there and blah, 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 and everything. And, and as time went on, it escalated. And here's the funny part of it. I, we finally got off the plane because they had to switch planes. And I, I was talking to my wife and I said, wow, I just got a tiny taste of what the apocalypse is going to look like. <laughs> Just the tiniest little bit of inconvenience, you know what I mean? If it can cause that kind of, of yuck, can you imagine when there's no bread on the shelf? Can you imagine? It was just like, wow, you know? So, sort of walk into this room and uh, be with the children of God. And, you know, it's just like, ah, you know, it's just like standing under the waterfall of his goodness, of his goodness. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be in this room. I'm going to guess that there are some folks that aren't familiar with me, maybe most folks. And just to get you all up to speed, I'm an actor by profession. A long time ago, as evidenced by the graying of my hair, (laughs) I had uh, the remarkable opportunity to portray Jesus in a film called The Gospel of Matthew. 
And for me, it's like I, I, I'd been a Christian. The reason I hesitated there was because I'd been going to church my whole life. I was raised in church schools and everything. But I, I was only, I, I was born again in 1989. And just for only for a couple of years, fresh in a living relationship with Jesus. But after all that church, and even within those two years, suddenly asked to portray Jesus, in a nutshell, it was this remarkable journey of discovering he who I thought I already knew all about. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Uh, There's that cliche, familiarity breeds contempt. It's like those things that are just so commonplace to us, we tend to take them for granted. We tend to, to not invest ourselves in them specifically. And if there's anything that falls in the center of that, it's him. I mean, if you throw a rock and bonk somebody on the head, they may have never been in a church in their life. They may have been going, you know, and, and, and you ask them, tell me, who is Jesus? They'll tell you. There's this presumption of just knowing who he is. Oh, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Yeah, he's blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, he's this really cool guy that went around doing good things. And then you ask another guy. It's like everybody just assumes they know who he is. And for me, as an actor, suddenly being confronted with the breathtaking opportunity to represent him on film. I'm choosing my words very carefully. Because when I was offered the role, the first thing that hit me was just this remarkable sense of responsibility. I knew that this was not a movie thing. This wasn't an actor thing. This wasn't time for me to you know, show off whatever talents I had honed over the years. I knew that this was a a a missionary thing. I knew that millions of people were going to make judgments about him. This is a huge thing I'm saying. Millions of people were going to make judgments about him based on what I did. And immediately I was just, you know, by by the heaviness of that responsibility. And at the same time, without going into the details of what led me to that job, I had this keen sense that it was, it was an appointment. It was one of those moments when everything, all the twists and turns and life mistakes and things that didn't work out, suddenly they all made sense. And I had this keen sense that it was all a winding path that led me to this place. And that alone gave me the confidence to pursue it. I mean, you could take the greatest actors in the world, of which I am not, <laughs> and you can put them all, all their skills and everything in one human being, and they can't even come close to the wonder of Jesus. And, and I was just smart enough to really, really know that. <laughs> and and what that did was it, it forced me to do the only thing I knew could possibly work. 
And this could be the biggest thing I'm about to say all night. And that's dive on my knees, man. Just dive on my knees and beg him with everything I had to reveal himself to me in prayer, in my prayer life, and in his word, to invest in me to such a degree that I would reflect him on some tiny level, you know, represent some measure of accuracy. For the first time in all those years of going to church and everything, what, what hit me like a shock of ice water is that with all the church I'd done, with all the prayers I'd prayed, with all the hallelujahs, with all the everything, this is big. I had never taken the time to get to know him. I had never stopped and taken the time to find out who he really, really was as a man 2,000 years ago and is today as our Lord and Savior. I think it's Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thus began certainly the most remarkable journey of this man's life and a journey that's continued these 20-something years later. Let me pray, and then I'm going to start to get into some things that the Lord just kind of showed me. We'll show a little bit of video in a little bit and, and just all spend a little time, hopefully, getting a little closer to him. Let me pray. Father God, we just gather today, and we just declare that we love you, Lord. We love you, and we praise you, and we worship you, and we bow before you, Lord God. Lord God, even those of us whose lives are off the scale, blessed and short up on every angle, we have one very, very desperate need. And that's you and more of you and more of you and more of you. And so I pray, Lord God, that for all of us, beginning with me, you just knock the dust off the old stories a little bit. You just awaken us afresh to the fullness of you. That somehow through what transpires tonight, Lord God, we would all catch a glimpse of you. I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's interesting, Pastor mentions that scene. That was a tricky scene, man. I mean, (laughs) you know, you look at that line, get behind me, Satan. And you think, how on earth am I going to do that? Cutting to the chase a little bit, and I'll tell this story, and then I'll back up a little bit. As I was preparing for the film... The major revelation that blanketed everything I did in front of that camera was the obvious, and isn't it always the obvious things? He loves that guy. He came not to push people away, but to draw people to himself. I mean, here's the living God. He's up there in eternal glory, and he's, you know, he's... he's, page after page and book after book of 
and I'm going to oversimplify, of him doing the same thing over and over, trying desperately to get his children to come to him. I mean, he's, <laughs> he saves them from slavery, and, and then they're still doing their thing. He parts the Red Sea. It's like, see, I told you I loved you, and they're still doing their thing. He, you know, he, he frees them from repeated slavery and repeated battles and, and victory after victory. And, 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 and it's, he's just trying to get them to come to him. And if I can phrase it in a colloquial way, it's as, if, it's as if after all those centuries of that not working, he sends his prophets, he's just, he says, oh, I'm going to go down there and do it myself. I think of Philippians 2. It's a remarkable passage. It talks about Jesus. It says these stunning words, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing. Now, it's the kind of thing you'll just read it and you'll pass right by, but it's like, wait a minute, this is the living God. And I mean, if anybody's got a choice in this world, it's, it's him. And he's sitting there and I'll just paint a funny kind of picture. He's sitting there in his throne and, and he's got all the everything and the cattle on a thousand hills and you just can't even imagine the, the wonder of all that is. And he makes a choice. He says, I think I'll make myself nothing. It's like, wait a minute now. Who makes that choice? Imagine if tomorrow morning we woke up to the news that, uh, I don't know, I'll pick some wealthy name, Bill Gates, uh, that Bill Gates gave everything away and took a job in a car wash. How would we react to that? It would be the biggest news in the universe. It would just be like, wow, is he crazy? It would be all that everybody in the world is talking about. And yet all of that man's resource... It it doesn't even add up to a half a cent compared to the wonder of the living God. In other words, Jesus does that times a gazillion. And we don't even notice. He's the living God. And he made himself nothing. Immediately in my preparation to play Jesus... The first revelation was, that was a choice. That was an active choice. And then I looked down the list of other things that we take for granted. He was born in a, I'll I'll use the word barn. I mean, (laughs) he's the living God. He can be born anywhere he wants. If you were God, would you choose a barn? Would you choose a feed trough, something that animals eat out of as your first bed? And I began to look at these these old stories, and I began to see them afresh in terms of the living God making choices that reveal his priorities, his motivations, that reveal his heart. One of the first lessons 
that you learn as an actor is that a man's heart is revealed in his actions. It's revealed in his choices. What I do as an actor when someone gives me a script, they want me to play a role, is I look at what the character does. And I ask myself the question over and over, why would he do that? What does that tell me about what's important to him? What does that tell me about what motivates him? So when it comes to Jesus, I look at the gospel. Born in a barn. What? He's the living God. See, we forget that. Sawing wood and hammering nails for 20-something years of his life. What? I mean, this is a guy that could raise people from the dead. This is a guy that could think one thought and five loaves of bread turn into 5,000. I mean, he's got all the power of the universe at his fingertips. If you had that talent, if you will, would you saw wood for 20 years? Sleeps in the bushes. I think of that scripture. uh, uh, Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, you look at choice after choice after choice. And you begin to see a picture of a man. Let me backtrack a little bit. You can close your eyes and drop your finger on any page of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And 100% of the time, what you'll find is Jesus doing one thing over and over and over, giving himself away. You're blind, here's some eyes. You're lame, here's some legs. You're dead, Lazarus, here's some life. You're misled, here's some truth. You're born condemned, wham, here's my life. And I began to see a picture of a man who has all the power, all the resource of the universe, and never once in any of those pages uses any of it for himself. You can't find one story where Jesus lifts his own hand for his own benefit. A hundred percent of the time, it's for other people slash under the glory of his Father. I began to think, wow. If I can phrase it in a very casual way, what kind of a guy does that. And I began to see a picture of, I tend to oversimplify, if I want to get an understanding of who Jesus is, all I do, all I have to do is reverse who I am. (laughs) I'm all about building my own kingdom. He's all about giving his kingdom away. I'm all about building my own reputation. He's all about building his father's reputation and bringing you and I into repute. I mean, you can go down the list, of, and, and, and it's just a complete opposite. I began to mention that, get behind me, Satan, and here comes the next revelation. One of the things that I learned in approaching that movie is that 
all scripture has to be read in context. You take scripture out of context and you can pretty much justify anything. A lot of people have done it. Okay, well, what is that context? There's the historical context. That's very, very important. But the context that's completely overlooked, I referenced it earlier, is that he loves people. He didn't give up all that and go through all that work to push people away from him. He did it to draw people unto himself. Gave up all of heavenly glory, born in a barn, saw in wood, opening blind eyes, raising. Why is he doing that? To draw people unto him. He's going to extreme lengths to draw people unto himself. One of the scriptures the Lord led me to in building the characterization of Jesus was Psalm 139, 13. I hand formed you while you were yet in your mother's womb. In other words, Peter that day, it's not just some guy. I hand formed you while you were yet in your mother's womb. If I can phrase it this way, it's his baby. He's talking to his baby. The leper, you know, covered with filth and skin turning to disease and terrible things. It's not just some sick guy. I hand formed you while you were yet in your mother's womb. It's his baby. Imagine dad and mom. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Imagine seeing your own little one in that kind of condition. What does that do to your heart? I mean, how do you react? You get a call in the middle of the night. Oh, there's been an accident. You know, you're a teenager and you go down there. And, you know, how do you react in a moment? Do you stand over the hospital bed and say, well, son, I told you not to drive fast. (laughs) You know, do you you go, well, you know, I'm very busy. Uh, I'll, I'll come by tomorrow. No, you rush down there. Your heart breaks in a billion places. You're grabbing the doctors like, please, you'll do anything to take the pain away. Why? Is that your baby? Doesn't matter if it's his fault. Doesn't matter how many times he's done it. Doesn't matter how many times you've told him. It's your baby. And your heart breaks in a million places. And you go to extreme lengths to make it all right. Take that experience and multiply it a kabillion times. Because you see, our capability to love at its best is but a crooked little thing compared to the perfection of the heart of the Son of the living God. So if you can take that experience and multiply it, You're beginning to get a sense of him, of Jesus 2,000 years ago, of Jesus eye to eye with a sea of his babies, doing the one thing that he's been doing since the dawn of man, pouring himself out and pouring himself out that his babies might come to him. I remember in that scene you mentioned, that was my challenge. 
how do I portray the love of Jesus for this guy? Within those words, the obvious scripture that comes to mind is that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the air. Jesus loves this man. And in the same way that that your child acting in rebellion, it, it just breaks your heart, but it doesn't steal the love out of your heart. Do you see it? Jesus. So Peter's acting up as he was prone to do, and it's just, and, and uh, what I did was I, I, I took him in an embrace, and it was almost like I was about to cry in tears. I go, I go, get behind me, Satan. In other words, I love you. I'm not thrilled with what's going on right now, but I love you. I love you. I love you, Jesus. It became what I did no matter who I was speaking to on film. Judas. It's mind-bending to try to figure out. You know, he, he knows what Judas is going to do. And I remember thinking, what's his relationship to Judas? I hand-formed you while you were yet in your mother's womb. In other words, he loves the guy. He loves the guy. It's beyond my human comprehension to figure out destiny and all these kinds of things. And Jesus knows what he's going to do before he does it, but that doesn't mean he's not reaching out to him. And it's, you know, it's like my dog trying to figure out what I'm thinking. It ain't going to work, you know. (laughs) But I think of Jesus' own words, I'm not a respecter of persons. It's the Father's will that everyone should be saved that not one should be lost. So if he cannot love that guy, then he cannot love... He loved him. The Pharisees. Crucify him. Everything he did. I love you. I love you. Jesus. Jesus. We shot in a rural village in Morocco and the other half of film in South Africa. And... It's like people are living the way they lived a thousand years ago. I don't know if it's that way now with cell phones and things, but it sure was back in the 90s. And you're just transported back in time. And I remember the director, there were these two literally blind beggars, and he wanted them to make the money, so he pulled them in to play the blind beggars that you see represented on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Well... That guy's hands were just filthy, man. So uh, the director explains to me, here's what's going to happen. You know, Jesus is walking, and the blind beggars call out to him, and uh, and he stops, and he says, you know, what is it you want me to do? And Lord, we want our sight. And and he instructed the guys, you know, you've, you've seen nothing but darkness your whole life. Think about that phrase. You had nothing but darkness your whole life. And in a moment of time, you know, can you put yourself in that blind guy's shoes for a moment? Just a sudden flood of imagery. And, and the director told him, the first thing you see is this man's face, Jesus. And he told him, react as anyone would. It's like, is it real? 
And he told me the guy's going to reach out and he's going to put his hands all over your face. And I thought, yikes, you know, I saw the guy's hands. And I can't explain to you, forgive me, <laughs> the smell that went with those guys. And, and, and I'm I just not going to go into the gory details. It was my first time in a third world country, and it was, it was quite a collision, <laughs> you know. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, should I ask the director to ask him to wash his hands? I'm being honest here, but I, I just didn't want to embarrass the guy, and I, and I just kind of gulp, you know, and I'll go for it. And, and I remember director calls action, and the scene begins. And, uh, and I looked at those guys, and I got right down in the dirt. And, and I have no explanation for this, but just the smell and the horror of a life lived so far from the fullness of God's hope for that guy. I can't explain to you how overwhelmed I was with heartbreak. And I've been telling this story for 20 years, and I can't find the words. And I remember getting down, I'm, I'm this close to the guy's face, and I did the thing, and, and, I, and, and he put those filthy hands all over my face. And it's not a scripted moment. It was just my reaction in the moment. And thank the Lord that the camera was rolling. And the, these filthy, urine-stained, terrible hands, I, I just took them and I kissed them. And I'm telling you, there were hundreds of people watching. Moroccans are hanging out the windows of their houses and the probably 200 crew members. And it was just like you could hear a pin drop. The director cut the scene, and what the camera didn't capture is I broke down in, in tears, and I just began to weep and weep, and I took that guy in my arms, and I just wept, and I wept for the longest time, and, and you could just hear a pin drop. And I remember on the way back to the hotel after shooting that day, we're in this big van, and the guy sitting next to me was what we call a messianic Jew. He was our technical advisor on the film. Loves Jesus. Yeshua, as he phrases it. And, and, and I remember he leaned over to me and he said, Bruce, he said, I've walked with Yeshua for a long, long time. But I never truly understood who he really, really is until today until I saw what you did to that guy today. It's one of the hardest things for us to understand. I mean, we read it in the book of Romans. We read it all through Scripture. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But for him, that's who I am. But for him, through spiritual eyes, that's what I look like. That's what I smell like. And the living God makes himself nothing that he might have that moment with me. That he might, if you will, kiss my hands, kiss the filth 
off of my hands. Jesus. 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 I want to tell one more story, and this is a hard story to tell. It happened on the second day of shooting. Um, I was doing Matthew chapter 11, and, and it's a speech. Um, Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. These are uh, Galilean villages that he's gone in and done miracles and done wonders, and they just are busy going on about their lives. In other words, he's poured his life out to these people, and they don't care. He says, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon, two very pagan places, than for you. And then he goes on, and you, Capernaum, uh, which is a city he lived in, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, than for you. Um, and we were getting ready to do that speech. And, and again, we were in one of those villages, and there's just hundreds of people. Okay. There's a thing that an actor needs to get a handle on to portray a character accurately. And that's the character's point of view, the character's perspective on things. You know, obviously, you and I would look at the exact same thing and have two completely different reactions. So my job in playing Jesus was, what's his point of view? What does it look like through his eyes as opposed to mine? And I remember praying about this and praying about it and studying it and going to see my pastor and just, and I couldn't get a handle on it. And there we were about to do that scene, Matthew 11, and I was just struggling in prayer to get a handle on this thing. And I'm, and I'm looking out at all these people and I'm praying and I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, show me what it all looks like through your eyes. And you have to understand, I'm not an experiential Christian. Uh, I wasn't looking for any supernatural experience. I was trying to get an understanding, trying to understand his mindset. And I mean, I was begging him in prayer. Show me what it all looks like through your eyes. Here's where the story gets very, very tricky. And as with any story, uh, don't ever take a guy's word for it. Check it against God's word and make sure nobody's telling you funny stories. Um, I'm praying, Lord, show me what it all looks like through your eyes. And looking out at this sea of people, and, and it was like a, a fraction of a fraction of a moment of time. Words fail me. And it was like a shock of pain rifled through my heart. And it was like, <gasps> it was it was. It was so traumatic that uh, it was like someone had knocked the wind out of me. And I, you know, and I just struggled to breathe. And just, oh, the pain. And I exploded in tears. And I would weep uncontrollably for more than an hour. I couldn't regain my emotions. That's how deep that trauma was. And, and as you can imagine, I'm standing there and surrounded by hundreds of people and just weeping and weeping and weeping. And I wandered over to a little mud wall to sit down and just, just crying and crying. And in the ways the Lord deals with me, a scripture rose in my heart. 
he had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I knew in the ways that the Lord deals with me that he was giving me a glimpse of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of his heartbreak over people's lostness. Over people choosing to live life so remarkably short of the fullness of his I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your good and not for your harm. Plans for a future and a hope. And I remember the director came over to me and he said, are you okay? People were in shock. And I just looked at him and I said, it kills him. It just kills him. And his eyes welled up with tears. Somehow he understood what I was, what I was talking about. And he said, I know. That's why we're out here doing what we're doing. You just take whatever time you need to get yourself together. And then we'll carry on. That was the second day of the film shoot. And I'm convinced the Lord, if I can use this word, showed me that so early on because he needed that to be a thread through everything I did in front of that camera in representation of him. The heartbreak of Jesus over anyone who would choose to live even one moment of his or her life short of the fullness of his hope. It's interesting as a dad, you watch your kids make day-to-day choices. My kids are off the charts wonderful. (laughs) And I'm not saying that because I'm a proud dad. They really are. Sometimes it's baffling to me. It's like, do something wrong, will you? You know? They're off the charts wonderful. And it makes it all that much more dramatic when, when they do some funny little thing that's just a little disappointing. Some funny little thing. And, and it's just a little... Because <laughs> I have so much hope for you. Both of my kids have tremendous giftings. And I'm being very careful here. They're both in college. And as a dad, I can see their giftings. But they're pursuing other lines of study. I can't tell them. I can't sit them down and say, hey, God's given you this gift. And you need to embrace it and run with it. They have to discover it. Just multiply it a billion times. Dad, Mom, Jesus, Jesus. So he's born in a barn. He's sawing wood. He's pouring himself out. And when none of that works, he lays down on a piece of wood and lets some nobody Slam nails through his hands. Giving, 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 giving. And then literally giving. Jesus. 
you know, I could spend a lot of time talking about that day. I won't. But, uh, you know, that scene where, where I went down face first into the ground and everything, um, I remember arriving on the set. That was the first scene we shot. And I remember arriving on the set. And, uh, um, and we sat with the Roman soldiers and everything, and we said, hey, look, we don't want this to look stagey. We want it to look real. We want it to look documentary. So, you know, really just go ahead and, I said, rough me up. Just go for it. And I remember telling them, stay away from, don't punch me in the kidneys, stay away from my face, but, but really just go for it. Um, and, uh, you know, we rehearsed a couple of things that they could really hit me and it wouldn't cause any harm and things like that. And, you know, this is a little embarrassing, but as an actor, it's like you live to do scenes like this. You know what I mean? I mean, this is going to be great stuff, you know? Plus just the whole, boy, we're going to really, really do it, you know? So you're, you're excited. You're excited. And you're standing there, and the soldiers are flanking me. And, uh, and the director calls action. And, and I'll just never forget. Um, just words escape me. I, I remember just going down and these guys kicking me and the spit flying. And, and I remember the reason I went down is because I took a step and my foot hit a rock and the ankle went. And that's why I went down. And the uh, soldiers had been told, it's not that you hate this guy you know, this is just your job. This is what you do. You just want to hurry it up. They've been told to hurry it along. So they, you know, I remember the guys grabbing me by the nape of the neck and pulling me to my feet. And it was just, I, I have no words to explain the experience of being manhandled like that. Um, and I, I just have no words. And, and we're just faking it. And then I remember I'm laying down on the piece of wood and, uh, you know, and I was so, because uh, of shooting that scene, I was so emotionally disoriented that I didn't even hear the director call action. We're going to shoot the nail in the hand. And I just felt some, this guy grab my hand. And what you saw happened. We did one take and that was it. Um, I just turned to see what was happening. And this guy had a nail in the middle of my hand. And, and I can't explain to you the panic that, that just shot through my heart when that hammer went up. And just wham, you know, and the, the sound of that thing coming down. And I remember um, then it, it was time for me to go up on the cross. And uh, what we did was we um, wanted to get a sense of the reality of the straining of the joints and the tissues and everything. So I stood on this uh, platform and hooked my hand into these leather straps and um and when the director called action i would kick the platform out from under me like a hangman kind of thing my feet there was nothing under them and i remember just i I can't explain that to you i remember just hanging there and i would do this for about 10 hours over the course of a 13 or 14 hour work day and i just can't explain to you just just hanging there and 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 just begging god for each second and i'm not exaggerating just literally with my eyes closed, just saying, Lord, one more second, one more second, one more second. And, and then the director would yell, cut, and the guys would come and, and uh, lift uh, my body weight up and put that platform 
back under me. I remember I came down off the cross, and they had to touch up the makeup. And I was standing there with my arms extended, and the makeup artist was just just painting me with this red stuff. And, um, you know, and I, I just have no explanation for this, but I looked down at the ground and just these huge blotches of this red stuff in the sand. And it just, you know, it just shook me up. And, and so I turned away and I, I, I looked this way and it was all over my arm. There was so much of it on my arm that I, I just couldn't see skin. And, and I have no explanation for this. I just broke down. I just started to weep and weep. Uh, the director would tell me later that he thought I was having a, a breakdown. Um, his exact quote, he said, I, I felt a responsibility to stop it because I thought you were going someplace that I couldn't bring you back from. And eventually he did stop it. Uh, and you got to understand, I'm telling you the five-cent version of quite a story. Um, we shot the death of Jesus. He was on a scaffolding just to my uh, left here, eye to eye. Um, and the camera was here, and there was another camera down there. And, uh, you know, they explained to me, okay, he cries out in a loud voice, okay, I got it. And, you know, by this time I was so out of it that the director wasn't even giving me directions. Um, the crew guys would come over to me and just tell me, okay, we're going to shoot this now, we're going to shoot that now. And uh, he called action, and I did what you saw. Again, we shot that in one take. And, uh, and, and my face fell away from him. And, and the silence, the silence that fell over that hill was crazy. And, and then he said, cut. And everybody breathed, and uh, the sun was setting. He wanted to do another take. Um, and he started talking real fast because he was losing light. And he said, okay, we're going to do another take. I need this over here. I need a little more. And just in case he had something to say to me, I remember I, I, I rolled my head around to listen to him. And, and he's talking, and he looked up, and he looked me right in the eye. And he just, his body froze. And his eyes welled with tears. And he said, that's it. We're done. And he pointed to me and he said to the crew guys, get him down from there. And I mumbled literally through the blood in my teeth. I, I can do it again. And he said, no, we're done. And, uh, and he crawled down the scaffolding and these guys came and they took me down off the cross. And that was it. Crucifixion in the can. And it was a couple weeks later that, uh, that I was sitting with him over lunch. And and I asked him about that moment. His name's Reggie. I said, Reg, what did you see when you looked at me that made you stop it like that? And I'll never forget. He got very, very serious. We were sitting by the sea, and he looked out, and, you know, and he looked back, and, and, and he said, I saw a man dying. I saw a man dying. Jesus. 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 Who being in very nature God. Wow. Did not consider that something to be grasped for. But instead made himself nothing. 
me? And he whispers through his word and by his spirit through the tunnel of time. Yeah, kid. For you. My hand formed you while you were yet in your mother's womb. I birthed you for goodness. I birthed you for wonders and fullness of heart that, that as far as you've gone with me, you can't even imagine the wonders I desire for you. I love you, kid. I love you. Jesus. 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 You can imagine it was quite an adventure. And I remember on the uh, 24-hour flight home, (laughs) two of them split. I remember sitting there with my journal and just like, how do I sum that experience up? I literally sat there for hours trying to figure out, what do I write? (laughs) And I finally wrote three words. He loves you. He loves you. His name is Jesus. And he just loves you. Jesus. 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 Yeah, Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that nothing's changed. The same things you did in the streets 2,000 years ago, Lord Jesus. The same reaching out, the same drawing to, the same tears of compassion and heartbreak. The same giving and giving of yourself. Nothing's changed. So for all of us here today, Lord God, as much as we can't even come close to understand the fullness of all you are, all we can do is just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you chose me. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you that your grace is upon us. Thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. Thank you that you'll never give up on any one of us. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's worship service from the Summit Northwest Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you'd like to learn more about today's message, contact us at 1049-KEEHFM. We hope you'll tune in again at the same time next Saturday. 